Ready for another genie story? A secretary, a paralegal, and a partner, all from the same law firm, are walking through a park on their way to lunch when they find an antique oil lamp. They rub it, and the genie comes out in a puff of smoke, and the genie says, well, since there are three of you, I'll give each of you one wish. And the secretary says, me first, me first. And she says, I want to be in the Bahamas driving a speedboat without a care in the world. Poof, she's gone. The paralegal is astonished, and so she calls out, me next, me next. I want to be in Hawaii, relaxing on the beach with my personal masseuse, an endless supply of fruity drinks with umbrellas, and the love of my life. And poof, she's gone. You're next, says the genie to the partner. And the partner replies, I want those two back in the office after lunch. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time. So says the writer to the congregation at Ephesus. So many times our decisions are made hastily and thoughtlessly that we rue the consequences. Those who watch and wait and think fare better. How then do we live more wisely? Wisdom is not something that we're born with. Like the multiplication table or the rules of baseball, it takes discipline and attention to learn wisdom. Three things help us make the most of our time. The first is experience. We all know that wisdom comes through experience. And often we can't help what happens to us, but we can help how we respond. Douglas Burford from Kansas wrote about an experience about gaining wisdom. And he talked about, first of all, his infinite wisdom of his college years. Those of you who have been 20 before. Uh, understand what he's talking about. Well, it occurred to him that it made no sense to stop at traffic lights, at red traffic lights, when there was clearly no traffic around. So he began to stop just briefly, long enough to check for cars, and then he would proceed. And he said his stops became shorter and shorter, and eventually he no longer stopped at all. He simply checked the landscape well in advance, and if no cars were coming, he just proceeded full speed through the red light. Well, one day, something changed all of that, and he's, he, he never ran a red light after that. He said he was approaching an isolated light in an area where there was rarely any traffic, the busiest of times. He had already checked out the landscape and was near that empty intersection when a car topped the hill to his left. It was too far away to pose any threat, but it did pose a problem. It was a police car. But that fact wasn't what changed his ways because he got the car stopped in time and received no more punishment from the cop than just a dirty glance. But what scared him enough to put an end to that practice was what occurred in the split seconds between spotting the patrol car and getting the car stopped. In that instant, 
his foot moved from the gas pedal to the brake pedal and then back to the gas pedal. He didn't will it to do that. His foot just did it. His foot did that because that's how he had trained it to respond. He had continually ignored what had been a clear signal to stop, the red light, and as a result, the signal was no longer clear. Someone said, by the time we learn to watch our step, we're too old to go anywhere. But I disagree. Just like we can train ourselves to do unwise things, like running through stoplights, we can train ourselves in the ways of wisdom. It sounds at first like Burford's body had been trained, but it was his mind that made his foot move from the brake pedal back to the gas pedal. Another example is a swim instructor tells her young students that every time they put their faces in the water, they need to blow air out through their noses so they don't obviously inhale the water. And she says she doesn't want them to sometimes blow air out and sometimes paddle with their faces above water because then their minds won't get trained. They're they're training their minds, not just their bodies. The author of Ephesians has some practical suggestions, and we'll attend to those shortly. A second way to gain wisdom, besides experience, is to spend your time around wise people. There's a little novel written by Charles Sheldon many years ago called In His Steps. It had been slightly known for a long time, but it came to the forefront about a decade and a half ago when the WWJD craze hit. What does WWJD stand for? What would Jesus do? Yeah, we saw it everywhere, bracelets and necklaces and signs and bumper stickers. Well, that, it came from that book in which a group of people committed to each other that each time they made a decision, they would ask that question, what would Jesus do? And that question takes us a long way. If we think about that, take a moment to think about it before we respond to some sort of situation, we will act wisely. We attempt as followers of Jesus to do what he did and said. Jesus sought out and welcomed the outcasts. Jesus talked about worshiping God instead of money. Jesus took time away from his family and friends to pray. Following his patterns is a wise way for us to live. But what about those specifics that Jesus didn't address? He didn't talk about how much TV we should watch a day. He didn't talk about sexuality. He didn't talk about division of labor in the home. He didn't even talk about church. For those and other questions, God provides other people, other wise people. If we don't know what Jesus would do, we can think of someone else we respect and consider then what he or she would do. This man I know always seems to ask the perfect questions to help people come around and see their situations from a new and better perspective. So when I was talking with someone who I felt wasn't seeing all the options that might be seen, I thought, What would Larry ask? 
You know, it's kind of the same thing along with what would Jesus do. We're wired to depend on each other. Otherwise, we would all be good at everything. So the second way to wisdom is to live like wise people you know. And the third way is to look to God. King Solomon realized that he couldn't live wisely without God's help. It's unusual for a 20-year-old to seek help, but Solomon was 20 when his father, King David, died. And he had already cleared out any potential threats to the throne. Because he hadn't yet built a temple, he had gone elsewhere to make his sacrifices, the high places that the scripture talked about. Some of the Bible appears to teach that our righteousness and our sacrifices are magic. As if we could wave a magic wand and say some sort of incantation to make God do our bidding, like popping out of a top hat. That's a dangerous way to see God. And sometimes it persists today in scary ways. But this was the context at the time. And so we take the Bible as it is. We accept their context. And so in it today, we have Solomon dreaming about meeting God and asking God for wisdom. And it's as if this is a result of his thousand sacrifices. He recognized that he could not rule well without God's guiding hand. Solomon would not be the sculptor, but he would be the sharp tool that God used to shape a kingdom of God for the benefit of all. Or you might picture an artist with a paintbrush. Some friends of ours just went to New York City and they sent back a photo of uh, an artist uh, painting a scene in Central Park. So you could see the scene that she was painting and then you could see the lake and the landscape in the background. And so I picture us as that brush that God is using to paint beauty wherever we are, wherever we go. When we take time to ask God for for guidance and how God would use us, we are that brush, and our spirits get trained to fill the world around us with beauty. Do you notice in Solomon's dream that he gave, God gave Solomon more than he asked for? He asked not for riches or other benefits for himself. He asked for wisdom that would benefit others. And God supplied him that, but also with a share of other good things. We see an echo in the New Testament of this. When Jesus is trying to talk his followers out of worrying whether they will have food or drink or clothing, he urges them, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. So this is how the letter to Ephesians fleshes out how we seek God's kingdom and righteousness. When he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, he means something like, pay attention to God's hand on you as the paintbrush. He doesn't say alcohol is sinful. I'm probably being sinful as a Baptist to say that. But he tells us to not get intoxicated with us, because then the alcohol controls us and God can't. 
Instead, get intoxicated with God's spirit. And then he goes on to say one of the ways that we can do this is through making music together, which we do every Sunday when we gather. It's hard for us, maybe even impossible for us, to imagine a service of worship without music. Hymns and spiritual songs are integral to our identity as Calvary Baptist Church. If you had to choose between a service of music and a service of sermon, (laughs) I know which one you'd pick. (laughs) And so would I. Singing hymns together binds us as a community. It also teaches us theology. And when we read the words we sing, often it can be like praying. And it helps us see life with new eyes. The passage from Ephesians is a passage about shaping wise lives. Really, that's what the whole New Testament guides us to do. So again, be careful then how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Paul Marshall says making the most of the time carries with it the urgency of a shopper snatching up a bargain. Grab it while you can. Enjoy it while you can. Use it wisely while you can. As we train our minds, as we watch Jesus and other wise people, as we seek to be God's paintbrush, we make the most of our days. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do seek understanding and discerning minds as we go through each day. We gather with a community reminding ourselves that we are not alone in our search for you and in our search for wisdom and in our search for good lives and generous lives. Teach us then each day to pay attention to you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.